Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. And now, a warning from our old buddy George. Binge Mode contains adult content, much like Game of Thrones, the series adapted from my novels, A Song of Ice and Fire. If you have read the novels or have watched the show, then you're probably okay. Come join us on the Cinnamon Wind. It's time for Binge Mode. He saved me from being a joke from that day until his last day. And I couldn't save him in return. Nothing's more hateful than failing to protect the one you love. One day I will avenge King Renly. But you said a shadow murdered him. How do you fight a shadow? A shadow with the face of Stannis Baratheon. I know it was Stannis. I know it in my heart. Stannis is a man, not a shadow. Welcome to Binge Mode. Yes. I'm Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. Joining me today, now that he's finished chatting with the Dragon Queen at a Valentine brothel. Can I borrow like five silver stags? Just can I hold it for a second? Yeah, sure. I'll get you. I'll get you when we leave here. It's yours, buddy. It's Ringer staff writer and your maester, Jason Concepcion. Yeah. Jason, I'm taking you to the queen. Let's go. She wants us to rewatch all 60 episodes of Game of Thrones to deep dive one episode at a time. So that is what we're doing. Spoiler warning for all of you. We will be going deep on details from the show and the books from this episode and this season and beyond. So avert your eyes from the red priestess as soon as it gets just a little too uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. Because it's time to break down season five. Episode three, High Sparrow. Jason. Yes. We didn't come here to sweep floors. No, I want to do more. We came here to revisit plot points, damn it. Yes. So let's offer a brief refresher on what actually happened in this third installment by taking a quick trip down our very own King's Road. In the House of Black and White in Bravos, Arya is acclimating to the mysterious goings-on, and her duties at this point are primarily janitorial, and she's pretty mad about it. Arya and the Waif have their first run-in, and Arya learns that to become no one, she must shed the possessions of Arya Stark, her clothes, her coin, her sword. No, it's tied needle. We gotta keep it. Never needle. Never. In King's Landing. Guys. Hey. I love a wedding. Love a wedding. <laughs> love a Game of Thrones wedding. And it is wedding time once again. Marjorie and Tommen tie the knot at the Sept of Baylor. But this is, a, this is a quick one. Quick one. <laughs> quick one. Cersei, not thrilled, guys. No. Not thrilled. Doesn't no, no. trust Marjorie. Loves her baby boy. Speaking of her baby boy, that hey, evening. He's a man now. Tommen gets it in. Finally, a man grown in more ways than one. Did I hurt you? <laughs> Uh, Marjorie 
you know, enjoying that pillow talk and making the most of it begins yeah. the hard work of breaking Cersei's hold over Tommen later. Tommen tries to broach a sensitive subject with his mother. Don't you miss home? Yeah. Wouldn't you like to see Casterly Rock it's again? nice there this time of year. Cersei knows yeah. this is Marjorie's work. Some tense moments with Marjorie and Cersei in this episode that we will break down in their full deliciousness shortly. The sparrows, meanwhile, spreading across King's Landing, and they get a hold of the High Septon, scoop him right out of one of Littlefinger's brothels, and parade him nude through the streets. Cersei, after hearing about this from the man himself, goes to visit the High Sparrow. The High Septon wants the High Sparrow executed. Cersei sees an opening and makes her move. This guy is holding sway in one of the poorer quarters of the capital. How can she use this to her advantage? Mo Kalen, the neck. Sansa realizes that Littlefinger means to marry her to a Bolton, the people who killed her family. So they argue about it, and she's disgusted, but basically agrees to go through with it. Brienne and Pod, meanwhile, still on the case. They watched Littlefinger and Sansa pass through Mo Kalen. So they decide to take the long way around, and Brienne decides that Pa's nightly training should begin. In Winterfell, the Boltons, settling in nicely at the old home of the Starks, flayed bodies make lovely courtyard decorations, yeah. weaponry litters the yard. Ramsay and Roos bickering over how best to consolidate their control over the North and when it's appropriate to pause from your meal to have a conversation yes. with your father. Roos tells Ramsey, buddy, it's time to marry the girl, Sansa Stark. Cersei, hunting Littlefinger down, a message reaches him at Winterfell. A rider from the Vale brought it over. Roos passes it on while he and Littlefinger are chatting. After reading it, of course, he wants to know, why is Littlefinger betraying the Lannisters? Up at Castle Black, John turns down Stannis' offer of legitimization and takes on Ollie as his steward. Snow tells Stannis that winter is coming and he doesn't have enough food to feed his army, the wildlings, and Stannis' army. No problem, Stannis says. I'm marching to Winterfell like in two weeks or something like that, with or without wildling reinforcements. Those free folk are your problem now, John. Davos and John have their first real conversation, and it's a great scene. Tells John that Stannis sees something in him. Then he draws John's attention to the line in the Night's Watch vow, saying that the Watch are the shield that guards the realms of men. John hands out his first assignments as Lord Commander. He makes Alistair Thorne first ranger, and he tries to send Janos Slint to Greyguard. When Lord Janos refuses, John beheads him. Finally, over in Volantis. Wonderful there. Ah. Oh. Love it there. So did Talisa. Yeah. Actually, not really. She hated it there. That's why she left. Tough town. <laughs> Tyrion, growing stir-crazy in that carriage, finally, finally, finally convinces Varys to pull over, let him take the air. Taking the air, of course, includes <laughs> creepily watching and commenting on a red priestess's yes. sermon, and then venturing to a brothel where after... Hey, guys, no one's as surprised as he is not being able to seal the deal with a whore who clearly yeah. reminds him of Shay. He is spotted while taking a leak by Jorah Mormont, my once and future husband, <laughs> who kidnaps the imp. Mal, yeah. there's no justice in the world 
Not unless we make it. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's cut right to the core of it by sticking it with the pointy end. The defining theme of this episode is seeking vengeance. Littlefinger issues those words to Sansa atop a hill overlooking Mount Kaelin. But they apply to numerous characters in this episode who are seeking to avenge someone or something. You know, we might as well start with Littlefinger and with Sansa and Ramsay and Roos because justice, vengeance, revenge, these ideas are ever present in all of the exchanges that these characters have with each other, either actively seeking it or being afraid that someone else is probably actively seeking it against you. So Roos, you know, he knows that the Northerners are going to want revenge against House Bolton for betraying the Starks, right? Tywin was his ally. That was a shield, but he's dead now. And that's a problem. And Roos brings this up to Ramsay. He says, we don't have enough men to hold the North if the other houses rise up against it. I had a pact with Tywin Lannister and Tywin Lannister's dead. The remaining Lannisters are a thousand miles away. They've never once in the history of the Seven Kingdoms sent their armies this far north. If you think they will for us, you're a fool. Basically, yeah. like, this is over. Right. right? We're he on our own. Yeah, he this doesn't have a relationship right with yeah. Cersei or Jamie or... Yeah. Kevin with an A, right? (laughs) He's on his own. And many people around him, he's smart enough to know, probably want him dead. So need another way. Need another way to cement their standing and fend off those quests for justice. How? A marriage. The best way to forge a lasting alliance isn't by peeling a man's skin off, he says to Ramsay, who has just done this with Lord Serwin. Yeah. The best way is marriage. Now that you're a Bolton by royal decree, it's high time you married a suitable bride. As it happens. Yeah. I've found the perfect girl to solidify our hold on the North. Who is this? It's Sansa, of course. She is finding this out pretty much right at the same time. Right. From Littlefinger. And she is understandably horrified. They drive halfway there. You know what where I mean? Where we like, going? Yeah, where we go? Where, where are we, we going? going? Hey, and this then is he's familiar. Like, yeah, he's like finally like, oh, okay, you're going to marry Ramsey Bolt? I don't want to marry Ramsey Bolt. I don't want to marry Ramsey Bolt. <laughs> yeah, and she is absolutely horrified. And he says he won't force her to do anything, which, sure. listen, you know, she would be in immense danger without him. She's in immense danger with him. But she'd have no idea what was coming to her, who'd be trying to kill her if he just let her be on her own. You know what Littlefinger hates? What's that? Bad investments. You know how we know that? He is always telling us. He's always saying it. So, yeah, he's giving her the choice, but he's not really giving the choice. And then he tries to play the vengeance card on her. He says, stop being a bystander. You hear me? Stop running. There's no justice in the world. Not unless we make it. You love your family. Heavy, heavy echoes here of Littlefinger's other line, given the opportunity, what do we do to those who hurt the one we love? It's from season four. He believes in this idea clearly, but he also knows that, you know, it's a great way to get someone to do what you want. And Roos is right. Roos knows the North. Whatever you think of Roos, he knows where he's at. And when Sansa arrives and the, uh, the maid is cleaning up the room, she says, welcome home, Lady Stark. The North remembers people are horrified by the Boltons in general. This is not this is something from the books It doesn't really make its way into the show is, you know, the Boltons had seized the lands of a neighboring noble house and had locked the lady of the house in a tower and she had eaten her, fingers, her fingers off. Chewed yeah. her fingers off in, in her extremity. And this is the stuff that the Boltons do all the time and now they're in control. So this 
ever-present desire for justice amongst the people it has Roos absolutely on edge. And we see this in the conversation between Littlefinger and Roos at Winterfell. Roos asks if Littlefinger is prepared for the consequences of this arrangement, of this alliance, essentially. And Roos brings up Cersei in the letter. I'm sure you understand my position, Lord Baelish. Receive word of the night from the Queen Mother. It does make me question on your alliance. The Lannisters made you one of the great lords of Westeros. Yet here you are in the north, undermining them. Why gamble with your position? You're marrying Sansa against the will of the Lannisters. But, but like, here's the thing about that. Yeah. Roose is doing the exact same thing. Exactly the same thing. It doesn't, like, yeah. I don't understand his anxiety here. Or maybe that's actually, maybe that explains it. Right. He's wondering. He knows what he's doing. Exactly. So he's like, why are you doing this? Roose's whole thing is everyone is waiting to stab me in the back. Who's going to do it first? Right. Like, and he's trying to time it out. Like, okay, if the, I take care of the person who's going to stab me in the back first and I work with them and then just keep moving on. But to, but to literally look at Littlefinger and say, well, the Lannisters. Lannisters right. made you one of the greatest lords in the realm. It's right. like, but they just made you one of the greatest lords exactly. in the realm. You're not warden of the north without Tywin. Yeah. Littlefinger's not in his position without Tywin. It's a real rubber glue thing, which is like bizarre. But and he then he kind of goes on to acknowledge it, right? Because Littlefinger, of course, has a response, right? Yeah, he says, every ambitious move is a gamble. You gambled when you drove a dagger into Rob Stark's heart. So it appears your gamble paid off. Littlefinger basically makes this observation, right? Well, yeah, what about you, bud? And Rue says, I had Tywin's backing. Who supports me now? You. Well? Yeah. Well? Littlefinger's like, yeah, and that's good enough, yeah. or it should be, yeah. right? Come on, give it to us. The area's mine. The last time the Lords of the IRA formed an alliance with the Lords of the North, they brought down the greatest dynasty the world has ever known. And he's talking about Robert's rebellion, by the way. Right. And there's some, like, cool symbolism in this scene, physical symbolism, because when when Roos first starts in on Littlefinger about the letter and what are you doing, blah, blah, blah. Littlefinger had just started to go down the steps, so he's like a step below him. And then when Littlefinger is like, every ambitious move, blah, 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 he, he stands to his full height. Up, right. He goes up a step, and now all of a sudden they're in equal footing. Also, spoiler warning here, yeah. but like... It's it's just so cool. It speaks to how tangled these webs are that everything he just said there still holds yeah. now in the current timeline. It's just different people in the North. It's yep. Sansa and John, though, of course, how well is the John part going to work out with right. Littlefinger? But he still brought the Lords of the Vale to the Northerners' aid. Just wasn't yep. Bruce. Good stuff. What about the people who are watching Littlefinger and Sansa? What about Brienne and Pod? Because there is a thirst for justice Big in Brienne that really, at this point, propels her entire existence. Right. She spots Sansa on Littlefinger, right? She and Pot are watching above Mo Kalen, and they hatch a plan, right? We'll follow them. The Brienne knows right away. Ah, they're going to right. Winterfell, right? I know where they're going. She, a little bonding takes place. They sit. Oh, I love it. They're having a chat, and Brienne ultimately, you know, offers to teach Pod how to fight. She's softening. She's, yeah. she's warming up to him. And... You know, Pod is trying to get her to know her, too. How did you end up serving Renly? And she shares basically her origin yeah, story, entirely. finally, right? Yeah. Brienne the beauty. She was a girl, a young girl, and her father held a ball, a great ball. And basically, the very quick version is that all the boys yeah. pretended to want to dance with her, right. pretended to be interested. And for a moment right. in time, she felt beautiful and desired and loved and then she realized it was all a game, right? You yeah. hear one snicker, then you hear another. And before long, they're all laughing. They couldn't keep up the game any longer. And who comes in? Renly. He dances with her. He gives her encouragement. He makes her feel safe. Yeah. And clearly, as any human being with a heart would understand, that meant everything to yeah. her. 
everything. Small kindnesses in this world are, you know, Rare. beyond price, <laughs> right. essentially. And you can see, how rare is it? It's so rare that it it forged a lifelong yeah. allegiance. And it's just kind of sad, too, because it does show us, like, what kind of compassionate ruler Renly really could have been. He... You know, when he and Loras are hatching their plan in the first place, that's Loras's whole pitch is the people love you, you're kind. And this story really allows us to see that about Renly in a way that's kind of sad and also kind of cool. And the other thing that we learn about Brienne here, other than her backstory, is, you know, we come to understand really more fully than ever before how failing to protect Renly at his camp back in season two is fueling her still, and we understand why, right? He saved me from being a joke, she says this to Pod, from that day until his last day, and I couldn't save him in return. Nothing's more hateful than failing to protect the one you love. This is a really powerful, really beautiful sentiment, and it's also, in essence, the same thing that Littlefinger has now said a couple of times to Sansa. What does this all boil down to? If you can't stop something bad, from happening right. to the people you care about, when it's happening to them, right. then you have to work to make up for it the rest of your life. If justice failed you the first time, you have to make your own. Up at Castle Black, Stannis's pitch to John hinges basically completely on vengeance. Uh, he says, I'm giving you a chance to avenge your family to take back the castle where you grew up to rule the North. And Stannis is in full fucking hypocrite mode, by the way. He's trying to get a guy to break his vows, which is like... So rich. It's uh, He even says at one point about uh, Torment, we'll see if he's more willing to compromise than Mance was. Oh, who's willing to compromise? What the fuck are we talking about here, Stannis? So I, I, and Stannis says to John, you're as stubborn as, as your father and as honorable. And John says, of course, I can imagine no higher <laughs> praise. I didn't mean it as praise. Honor got your father killed, but if your mind's made up, I won't try to dissuade you. And by the way... Yeah, I mean, this is just an incredibly fucked up and hypocritical point so from Stannis Baratheon. Although, you know, what is the what is the thing that Stannis sees in John sees in Davos? He's just such an unyielding guy that the people who are willing to stand up to him, he's drawn to them for a reason that I'm not even sure he can articulate. Right. But he just something draws him to those type of people, and, and it's obvious in the way that he doesn't really try to talk John into it. He just, he, you know, makes his pitch a couple times and he's like, all right. Then Stannis has some parting <laughs> advice. One, see if Tormund is more game than Matt. See if he'll compromise. Send your enemies away. He's talking about Thorn, but then the camera lingers on as it has been for many episodes oh now. Oh, my God. <laughs> lingers on Ollie. A lot uh, of Ollie camera lingers. A lot of Ollie. Whenever they talk about wildlings and then the camera goes on Ollie and he's making a face. <laughs> um, and... John will ultimately award Thorne by naming him First Ranger, taking this advice to heart with Slint, who played a role in betraying Ned, not that he knows that. So when Slint- Justice at, for the viewer. Justice for justice the viewer. For the it's viewer, great. You know, yeah. when, when um, John really tries to do him a solid, which is, listen, if Slint can get Greyguard on its feet, that's a good look for Janos Slint. Right. Like, here's your chance to prove yourself. I mean, yes, I'm sending you away from me. I'm actively doing that. At the same time, this could benefit you. You know, you're taking men, you're being controlled over there. And when Janos uh, shoves it in his face, John has really no choice but to be ahead of me. You know, Janos says, you can stick your order up your bastard ass. And this is after- Can't use the B word with John. You can't. And this is after John had given him, you know, at least three chances right. 
To, Are you questioning my command? He's given him a few a few chances to back down there. And then he shows himself to be Ned's son, asking for his sword. He, the man who passes the sentence must swing the swords. And then he says, if you have any last words, my lord, now's the time. And then Slint just turns into a fucking puddle of urine. I was wrong. You're the lone commander. We all serve you. I'm sorry. Not only for this, for all I've done and I've said, I was wrong. My lord, please. Mercy, mercy. I'll go. I will, please. I'm afraid. I've always been afraid. <laughs> and then John hesitates for a moment and then... He does hesitate. But then he steals up. Boom. Chops the head. And Stannis... By the way, Stannis... You know what sports is to Stannis? Watching football on a Sunday to Stannis is leaning on... <laughs> Uh, leaning on the banister of like a yard, a castle yard, and watching men behead other men or fight. He loves that loves shit. It. There's nothing Stannis would like better than to just watch men train in a yard. <laughs> and, and maybe not great when Stanny Sr., you know, agrees. Yeah, I agree with you. It's like he gives him that look like, yeah, that's what I would have done. Right. You know, look at that. Look at Davos's fingers. <laughs> but John got justice here. The question is, will getting that justice lead others to seek justice of their own against John? Spoiler, yes. <laughs> no beheadings in King's Landing, but plenty of activities involving heads. <laughs> Marjorie deflowers Tommen on yeah. her wedding night. and No she... flowers! <laughs> Marjorie, she doesn't even want to wait before nope. she turns the pillow talk to Cersei. And whether, you know, does your mother like it? Yeah. In King's Landing? Would she be, would she be... Happier? <laughs> Out on the West Coast, California's lovely this time of year. I love the fact that Tommen is just like, what's going on? <laughs> He's like, doesn't are, even... Are you and mother not getting along? What? what? And Marjorie's just going for it, right? She's saying, she's she knows how to play both sides to oh, make yeah. this sound like she's appreciating Cersei's nurturing maternal instinct while also kind of manipulating and, and corrupting Tommen's thinking here, right? A lioness guarding her cub. But I'm a man now. Yeah, of course you are. He looks at the bed. I'm a man (laughs) now. What do you mean? And she says, you know, you are and a king, but you'll always be her baby. Did I hurt you? (laughs) Did that 35 seconds of pleasure hurt you? (laughs) (laughs) The seed that Marjorie planted with Tommen is growing strong, right? Classic Tyrell plotting here. Cersei is trying to shit on Marjorie to Tommen, right? Do you think she's intelligent? <laughs> Can't quite tell. And Tommen's just like, yo, do you ever miss Casterly Rock? <laughs> it's a smooth move, King. <laughs> what do you think about a little, little vacation? And, you know, to, to add insult to insult here, when Cersei walks up to Marjorie oh, to yeah. chat with her, so good. Marjorie, this is like high comedy, but yeah. also extremely tense. Marjorie yeah. is loudly, loudly telling her assembled friends about her wedding night, right? Surely four times is enough. <laughs> well, what is the record? I'm sure we can break it. She's recounting, right, Tommen's, Tommen's lines about their sexual exploits. And, you know, she sees Cersei, mother. Oh, she loves to say that. Mother, yeah. welcome. Right, this is a, to a woman who once said, call me sister again. Right. And then Marjorie drops one of the... Most savage digs. Brutal. I wish we had some wine for you. It's a bit early in the day for us. (laughs) (laughs) And she just can't stop. She can't help herself. She is absolutely relishing every moment of this. What's the proper way to address you now? Queen mother or dowager queen? What about about old ass queen? Is that one? Grandmother queen? 
you know, this would be this would be shocking even if they were alone. But there are other people, right? She, yeah, there's she's a lot of people around. Actively shaming Cersei, and Cersei's face, yeah, is so expressive and agonized, yeah. but also committed yeah. that it's actually like it's a little hard not to feel bad for her in that moment, and. It's especially hard not to feel bad for her. She's walking away and the laughter is ringing out behind her. But, you know, that feeling of pity and sympathy does not last long because, you know, as is so often the case, her quest for vengeance is extremely short-sighted. Oh, yeah. She wants to hurt Marjorie. She wants to hurt the Tyrells. And so she sees an opportunity. The High Septon's humiliation at Littlefinger's brothel gives her an opening to make a change, and she pounces. She visits the High Sparrow in his weird, like, (laughs) festering, stinky soup lair, and she makes her move. And by the way, what a... Jonathan Price, so Ah. good. Just absolutely crushes it. Brings, like, a, a kind of beatific humility that is not a note that gets sounded in this show very often. And he says a lot of things that make you go, oh, and this guy really kind of sees the game board in a way that no one else does. Cersei asks him about his name, the High Sparrow. Is the High Sparrow here? And he he chuckles at this. You know, the name is silly name, right? And he says, you know, we're often stuck with the names our enemies give us. And then he's talking about why the humble surroundings, I mean, why he's giving out soup to uh, homeless people. He says, you know, I tell them no one's special and they think I'm special for telling them so. Love this. That's one of those great lines that this show gives you, that gives you immediate insight into this person as a character. He is a person who has a mission beyond anything that exists in this world. And so other people can't understand it. You know, to them, the life is accumulating wealth, accumulating power, continuing uh, that power and wealth so that your children and their children can enjoy it. And he's opted out of this. And he says uh, further, hypocrisy is a boil. Lancing a boil is never pleasant, he says, of telling that truth to the powerful, to lords and ladies and anybody she sees. She totally underestimates him. Here's a guy with no shoes wearing a fucking potato sack, you know, unwashed. This is a pawn to her. And that's a bad read because you're seeing a guy ladling out soup who is surrounded by people who worship him. And she doesn't see the strength or the danger there. Either that or she really doesn't care. And so she makes her move. She calls the High Sparrow into a meeting. The High Septon now has fallen from grace, been paraded through the streets with his fucking pasty butt cheeks out. (laughs) And... You know, the High Septon wants the High Sparrow executed for having his followers do this to him. And and she says, you know, well, that's what he wants. But my thoughts on the matter align with your own. The High Septon's behavior was corrosive, as was, his, as was his attitude. Having a man like that reside in the Sept eats away at the faith from the inside. So now he resides in the Red Keep dungeons instead. The faith and the crown are the two pillars that hold up this world. One collapses, so does the other. We must do everything necessary to protect one another. Cersei here is, what's she doing? She's thinking, I've found a power base. Here's a man, he's followers. I can arm them, I can empower them, and they'll follow my commands. And I need that because the city watch, it doesn't necessarily follow my orders, neither does the king's guard should Tommen at one point flex his muscles. Uh, Kevin is at Casterly Rock and you know won't listen to anything I say. I need, a, I need armed men at my disposal, and here they are. Oh, man. Cersei, come on. Yeah. Playing a game as well. Aria. Down in Bravos, 
playing the game of faces, learning very quickly that this is not about her personal agenda anymore, right? This is about something bigger, something universal. At least if she wants to stay here, it has to be about that. She says, I want to serve Jockin. A girl wants to serve herself. Here yeah. we serve the many-faced God. To serve well, a girl must become no one. She's like, who's that? Yeah. The many-faced who? Jockin says there is only one God. A girl knows his name, and all men know his gift. Arya's just hanging out in her cubbyhole later, and enter the waif. What a cool girl she is. Super chill, good roommate. Yeah. Always helps take, you like, know, take out the trash, do like the dishes. Freshman year at college all over, all over again. And the waif is, you know, she's here to play a little get-to-know-you game, right? Arya issues some, some foul language. Right. And Jockin interrupts this little tiff that they're having, right? It's tough for him to side with Arya, though, when he sees all around her the physical embodiment yeah. of her desire for vengeance, her desire for revenge. All of her possessions, the things that make her Arya Stark, are on her bed, right? So he says, a man wonders, how is it that no one, that's who she's supposed to be, no one, how is it that no one came to be surrounded by Arya Stark's things? So she has a choice to make here, and she packs up her shit, and she dumps it in the water, all except Needle. And this is an agonizing moment. Yeah. When she's holding Needle in her hands, she can, it's not just that she can't bring herself to discard it, she's crying she's weeping and we don't see that level we see a lot of emotion from Arya. we see anger we see rage we see satisfaction when she crosses a name off of her list we very rarely see true despair yeah and a longing that is tethered less to basically a murderous rage than to a kid who's sad and misses her family and that's what this is and it's it's absolutely gut-wrenching. And she can't let Needle go. She can't. That represents John. That represents home. That represents who she is, who she is ultimately always going to be. And the the vows that she made to herself to avenge those who were lost. And so what does she do? She cries. She looks at Needle one more time. And then she hides it away under the rocks. Jason. Yeah. A lot of corpse washing in Arya's immediate future here. His face has got to be clean. And, uh, you know, the the what do we do with them after we wash them question applies not only to the corpses at the House of Black and White, but also to the patrons of the Valentine brothels. Oh, yeah. We have heard speak of the eldest of the free cities. But now, now that we have actually crossed the long bridge, heard a red priestess speak and gazed upon the dragon queen's bare-ass cheeks along Whoa. with Tyrion before Jorah came up Mother and kidnapped, of dragons. <laughs> kidnapped him. Let's assemble the conclave and head to the Citadel to learn everything we need to know about Volantis because it does not seem like Jorah intends to keep Tyrion here for very long. Let's cherish our time here. Volantis. Founded, uh, oh, let's say something like 5,000 years ago, Volantis is the oldest of the free cities of Essos, and it began life as a colony of Valeria. And since the fall of Valeria, Volantis has positioned itself essentially as the heir to the Freehold's legacy, cultural and political and military legacy in Essos. It's the southernmost of the free cities. Uh, Volantis straddles one of the four mouths of the massive River Rhoyne. The Rhoyne is this gigantically wide and 
long river and it's got four colossal mouths. And Volantis straddles uh, both sides of only one of the mouths um, where those waters meet the summer sea. Like Valeria, Volantis is heavily, heavily, heavily involved in the slave trade, and slaves make up a significant portion of the city's population. All this makes Volantis the most robust land power in Essos, the natural counterbalance culturally, politically, and militarily to Bravos, who are populated by free slaves and are mostly a naval power. The notorious Demon Road, great name for a road, Love very that. safe, uh, <laughs> runs east from the city, due east, skirting the edge of the ruined Valerian Peninsula, running through the strange city of Mentaris and all the way to Slaver's Bay and Marine. So if you're attempting, as Varus and Tyrion are, to reach Danny by land, Volantis is the natural starting point because, I mean, if you look at the map, any of the other free cities are going to probably take you through the Dothraki Sea, and that's really not a way you want to go. Volantis is a city made up, as I said before, of two halves separated by the mouth of the River Roin. The western half is newer, but the eastern half is the really interesting half. The eastern half is the oldest, wealthiest, and most influential. It also contains kind of the cross currents that make the city vibrant and also volatile. The Volantines hold this history very, very dear. Pure Valerian ancestry is a status symbol in Volantis, and only citizens of the city with the blood of old Valeria running through their veins on both sides are allowed within the historic and imposing black walls. Mm -hmm. So-called because they're just tall, thick, very black walls in the Valerian style, meaning they don't have individual bricks or seams. It seems like one kind of a, a solid piece of black stone. And enclosed in these are, are the heart of the city, essentially, the cultural heart of the city. As I said before, you can only go in if you have pure Valerian blood. Everyone else has to be invited. Other landmarks in the eastern side of Atlantis include the Temple of the Lord of Light, huge, huge, huge temple to R'hllor. It's an extremely popular religion in the city, especially with the slaves and freedmen. And the temple is described as being three times the size of the Great Sept of Baylor in King's Landing. So that's pretty fucking big, guys. Connecting the two sides of the city is the famous. Long Bridge, which is kind of the symbol of Volantis. We saw Tyrion and, and Varys walking across it. Uh, it is a monumental span, the foundation of the bridge, like the black walls, no seams, fitting stone to stone, hallmark of Valerian architecture. What do we think about that? We think that uh, dragons, by the way, uh, were used to melt the stone and then probably some kind of magical spells were used to shape it, uh, similar to what was done to raise the castle of Dragonstone. Anyway, the bridge is huge. Contains shops, temples, brothels, Sivas parlors, which is like, imagine chess, but you gamble on it. It's like a military game. Book readers will know about it. And uh, numerous buildings as, as tall as four stories. So as previously mentioned, Volantis is a slave power. Slaves making up a huge amount of the population. There are five slaves to every freedman in the city. And over the centuries, the a visual language of tattooing is developed, which indicate people who are slaves and also which trades they work. So we saw a little bit of this in the show. A wheel on the cheek is a driver of a carriage for wealthy people. They call these carriages, by the way, hathes. And in Volantis, people who walk are seen as lower status. If you ride in it, it's a lot like LA in that regard. If you ride in a hathe, you're a real person. If you walk, you're, you ain't shit. A single tear beneath the right eye means a prostitute. So increasingly, this vast population of slaves, many already observant followers of the Lord of Light, see Danny as their messiah, the breaker of change. Daenerys's political message and presence in Essos is a mortal threat to Volantis and many other of the free cities. Just her being there could cause their slaves to decide to revolt. And this is why, um, you know, all the cities, all the powers of Essos are like, yeah, leave. What do you want? Like boats? What, you know, just get out of here. 
She's not going anywhere. She ain't going anywhere for She's a while. She's not going anywhere. Hey, guys. Just a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. And now, back to Binge Mode. Like Tyrion, we need to speak to someone with hair. Yeah. Gotta speak to someone with hair. So sorry, Varys, oh. but we're gonna head to the set. That was a, that was not called. For. It was Come mean. On. It was mean. Because already got his dick yeah. and balls cut off, and yeah, you leave his sweet little head and face alone. <laughs> you gotta come, come to on. him with this. Come, come on, on, dude. Well, with apologies to dear Varys, we are yeah. gonna head to the sept to bathe in the light of the seven by sharing seven of our favorite insights and observations from this episode. Number one. Oh, Marge and Tom in the wedding night. Man. Love it. I love when Tom goes, did I hurt you? No, you were lovely. It all happened so fast. I was scared maybe I hurt you. It, it sounded like... No, no. You're very sweet. The sweetest king who ever lived. This is all I want to do all day, every day for the rest of my life. <laughs> and then the other thing that King Thomas says, he's talking about how, you know, like the, he's king now and he's, he's thinking about it and, and reflecting on it. He says, King Tommen. It all sounds strange to me. Does Queen Marjorie sound strange to you? And then Marjorie makes a face that says, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then goes, oh, so strange. So strange. It's, I've never been it's, a, a, it's only what I've been working for since the moment I was born. This is definitely the first time I've yeah. <laughs> been a queen. Number two, Reek's back home. Guys, he's at Winterfell and uh, you know, a home of sorts, the home that he should have embraced. And he watches in horror as Ramsay's men raise yeah. the flayed corpses up at the gate. And this scene really mirrors the action that Theon himself took, raising fake Bran and fake Rickon, the charred farmer's boys. Gross. Number three, Podrick's squire origin story. This is a cool little story. Podrick and a buddy stole a ham but the buddy fell asleep with the ham bone still in his hand, and therefore he got hung for it. And when they went to go do something with Podrick, it came to Tywin's attention that his last name was Payne. He's related to Sir Illyn Payne, who is the headsman. King's justice. The king's justice, the official executioner for the realm. And so Tywin, as a boon, allowed him to go work for Tyrion as a squire. Doesn't seem like Illyn Payne would be a great relative. He's just not a... Not very uh, talkative at Thanksgiving. Also very, very grim human being. <laughs> <laughs> Number four. Speaking of grim. Yeah. Ramsey and Littlefinger are having a chat. And Ramsey says oh. she really is lovely. I hope I can make her happy. I hope so, too. I've become quite fond of Lady Sansa during our travels together. She's suffered enough. I'll never hurt her. You have my word. I've heard very little about you, which makes you quite a rare thing, as lords go. I haven't been a lord very long. I was a bastard. And you're not anymore. Couple things here. Yeah. Spoiler alerts, obviously. Ramsay's gonna hurt Sansa, guys, right. in savage, brutal, yes. disgraceful ways. And so it is painful. It is painful to watch this yeah. just farce play out. And... You know, a debate that occurs among yes. viewers who are taking this in is, well, what did Littlefinger really know about Ramsay? And 
in this moment when he's saying, I've heard very little about you, which right. makes you a very rare thing as lords go, this is just straight bullshit. It's got, first of all, Littlefinger, if he didn't actually know something, he wouldn't tell someone. Right. It's all part of his game. It's all part of his manipulation. He's right. always trying to get every single circumstance aligned in the way that he wants it to. And we'll hear more in the next episode when he's talking to Sansa about Ramsay, yeah. about what she, the, the fate that he thinks is right. about to befall this house. He knows plenty. Yeah. This is really, really fucked up. And just one more note on the whole Ramsay Sansa thing. When they make their introduction in the, in the courtyard at, at Winterfell there, the camera pans to Miranda. Yeah. Ramsay's GF. Who looks extremely unhappy. Does not look thrilled. And again, a little bit of foreshadowing there because we know, we know what she's going to try to do. Number five. Some more foreshadowing of vengeance. Brienne is uh, talking about her experiences uh, with King Renly. She says, I will avenge King Renly. And Podrick says, but you said a shadow murdered him. How do you fight a shadow? A shadow with the face of Stannis Baratheon. I know it was Stannis. I know in my heart. Stannis is a man, not a shadow, and a man can be killed. Do your duty. Speaking of foreshadowing, a lot of foreshadowing in this episode. There is some heavy, heavy John Davos, Ali, yeah. Night's Watch, Castle Black foreshadowing here. And this exchange, Davos is trying to convince John, you know, just saying, Stannis really likes you. You know, he's really yeah. fond of you. Might not, might not see it, might not seem like it, but he loves you. He sees something in you. And John tells Davos he has sworn to take no part, right, in these kinds of battles. And Davos says, have you now? Right. And then he asks Ali to recite the words. And this Ali, is great. Ali starts to recite the, the, the vow. And, you know, Davos is like control F to the part that he actually wants. You know, <laughs> no, not that, not that, that other bit. And then Ali gets to the key part that Davos is looking right. for about the shield that guards the realms of men. And then Davos parrots that line back. The shield that guards the realms of men. Says to John, that's what you swore to be. Now I'm not a learned man. The best way to help the most people might not be sitting in a frozen castle at the edge of the world. It just might mean wading into the mud, getting your boots dirty, and doing what needs to be done. What needs to be done, John asks. As long as the Boltons rule the North, the North will suffer. Okay. Spoiler, 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 spoiler. All of this, all of this. Like, yeah. what is John? Battle of the Bastards, an iconic yep. episode. John goes to take down the Boltons, finally, right? Ali witnessing this, the implications here about what what needs to be done while well, grab those wildlings yep. and go fight a war, save the people, yep. don't worry about your oath. Well, that's going to be essentially what poisons Ali and other members of the Night's Watch against John, And also just some, you know, subtler foreshadowing here for uh, the, the bond that's going to build between Davos and John. You know, when Stannis falls, Davos is going to align with John and become one of his right-hand men. And we see here, already he's counseling. Already he's acting as kind of a hand of the king. Yeah. I love the part. It's, Davos should be a lawyer because I love when he says, he, he says after, you know, the Boltons rule the North, the North will suffer. And he says, just one man's opinion. That man is the hand of a king. You know, it's like he's just acting like he's a guy like walked straight off the farmstead. <laughs> the fucking hand of the king, dude. You know, come on. I don't know, man. Grew up in Fleabottom, sure, Bowls of Brown. Yeah, We've on. heard look this at, speech look from at him yourself before. now, buddy. Number seven, the High Septon. Getting it on, getting freaky in Littlefinger's brothel. You have served us well, my father. Which of you, us will you worship today? Says the maiden. Always the maiden and the stranger. You know, two costs extra. And so the High Septon obviously has some 
pretty freaky tastes involved <laughs> heavily with the religion of the faith of the seven using the iconography in some kind of erotic ways. Not a surprise, by the way, that Grandmaster Picel is aghast at someone's private life coming to the public knowledge. He says, And speaking of, we have to mention, we didn't mention this uh, before, but we should mention that uh, not really a Meister Kyburn already has the Frankenmountain twitching. Quivering. Quivering. Quivering beneath the sheets. Guy is dead, but not dead. Not Whatever. in the way that Tommen was. Right. <laughs> Very different. Well, Mal, we should probably rest a little. Yeah. It's been a tough episode. There's no rush, though. But each episode, we're going to honor the person who played the game and advanced his or her cause in some tangible way. And this week, the winner of our champion's purse is... Marjorie! Did I hurt you? <laughs> Baby, no, you did not. You're very sweet. The yeah. sweetest king who ever lived. What a string of amazing lines right. from Marjorie in yeah. this episode. Everything is perfect. The exchange with Tommen is right. perfect. The exchange with Cersei is Oof. downright flawless. Incredible. You see, you see what a master she really is yeah. at playing the game, playing the people around her. She knows Cersei's coming for yeah. me. I have to get there first. This is the advice yeah. that Olena has been instilling in her over time. Waste no time. And, you know, jokes and zingers aside, right. fornication aside, an actual key thing happened here, which yes. is Marjorie finally, 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 yes. third time's the charm. She didn't just marry a king. She sealed the deal. Right, right. Not an accident that elsewhere in this episode we hear Littlefinger, when he's talking to Roos about Sansa, yeah. go out of his way to say, she's not married to Tyrion. They never right. had sex, right? The way this works in this world is you have to consummate the marriage for it to be binding. Exactly. That did not happen with Renly. It obviously didn't happen with Joffrey because he fucking died at the <laughs> dinner table in the wedding. And so this is it. Sealing the deal with Tom and in bed yeah. is actually, it's a big deal. And Marjorie goes, as she knows this, she goes yeah. out of her way to bring this up to Cersei to boast about it. That's why she's openly talking about the sex that they had, right? It's not just to be crass. It is to make Cersei feel uncomfortable, right. but it's also to say, this is official. I'm the queen. I finally got this on lock. And also, oh, by the way, he's going to put a baby in my right. belly. And it's just amazing to watch her go toe to toe with Cersei in a way, not just as her equal, but really now as her better. She's lording this shit over Cersei and she's doing it in a way that lets Cersei know, I'm fucking with you right now. I'm fucking with you right now. I've got your son. We're married. He's going to give me a baby. And guess what? He's going to listen to me and not you. Not fucking you. All right. Well, friends. Yeah. We need your names, not your virtue. We hope that you had as much fun as we did today and that you will join us next time when we will be discussing season five, episode four, Sons of the Harpy. Hey, we love those guys. Yeah. No, we don't miss no, 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 it's not that great. Until then, let's play a little game. Sure. Who are you? You, who walk in here with a coin you never earned, whose value you don't respect, who are you? No one. Ah! You're doing wolf style, Marjorie. You ever doing wolf style? Oh, you have? Hmm. Stag style. Have you ever done it? Oh, you have. Have you... 
You've done that too. Okay. <laughs> have you have oh, really also that? Wow. <laughs> are you aware of the mirror? You are. Okay. Well, uh, never never mind. I need some rest, I guess. <laughs>